Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Leela Grace. We recorded this last week in person in her backyard a little more than six feet apart. Real quick before we get started, I'm playing Quarantine Happy Hour this Sunday the 13th at 5.30 p.m. Pacific. For those of you who are unfamiliar, it's basically the biggest trad music streaming concert series right now, started by The Horse Necks, now run by Charmaine Slavin and Riley Calcagno, all former guests of Get Up in the Cool. So I'm really excited to be included. If you want to come hang out and hear some banjo tunes, just join the Quarantine Happy Hour Facebook group linked in the show notes and visit that group this Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific. Hope to see some of you in the chat window. Stick around afterwards, and I'll tell you how to keep up with Leela Grace. But first, here's our interview and jam. Enjoy. to get up in the cool. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having me in your really good backyard. Oh, yeah. We, we've we felt really lucky to have this backyard, especially over the last, last you know, six months where we couldn't really go anywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If we get tired of talking, we can take a snack break yeah. and eat some of these peppers. Some peppers. We could swing on the swings. Swing, yeah. We could just look up, see if there are any birds hanging around. So. Yeah. 
Uh, I've heard that there may or may not be a saxophonist at the top of the hill. Yeah, he likes might... to hang out in the tunnel and, and practice. I think he faces the wall because he likes the <laughs> reverberation, but the opening of the tunnel is like a speaker coming directly into our backyard. I, so. yeah, I know you don't want that to happen, but I really... <laughs> I really want it and to then happen. when he gets tired of the saxophone, he switches to the flute. But it's never a melody. There's never yeah. a melody. It's just, just Kenny like G in the tunnel. Yeah. Vibes. <laughs> right to your back door. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> it's very Portland. Yeah. Yeah. We're here in Portland. Yeah. At, at your home. Yeah. Uh, I have lived here in the last for the last two years. This is my first time meeting you. I think, unless we met at like the gathering or something. Well, maybe we. I'm sure we passed yeah. at the gathering. This is the first of, like official, official meeting. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's really that was super fun to play. Um, <laughs> haven't gotten to actually jam with somebody oh in so long, so <laughs> that was so awesome. Yeah, I've been here in Portland. Um, moved here in 2007 from Missouri, which was my home state. Yeah. So. <clears throat> Where in Missouri? Columbia college town in the middle of the state cool i've never been to missouri yeah. so i'm just taking your word for it yeah most people are like missouri hmm. hmm and they try to think of something related to missouri and they usually come up with either why is it called the show me state and or shouldn't you pronounce it missouri yeah um or they think of branson right so Let me just like slightly my, my notes here really quick to just not say any of this. Okay, great. We're good. I'm like St. Louis, Kansas City, Missouri yeah. River, Mississippi River, yeah. Arch, you know, yeah. Pony Express. I don't know about that one. Ozarks. Ozarks. Yeah. Southern Missouri is in the Ozarks. Gotcha. So Northern wow, Missouri I'm so is the ignorant plains. of yeah. geography. <laughs> American geography. Oh, my God. So you grew up in Missouri. I did. Why did you come here? It was very random. It was sort of like um, my partner and I were looking for a place that was more liberal than Missouri, had a good music scene. Um, he was looking for a graduate school, which he then went to but didn't pursue that career. Mm. <laughs> um, and we had heard good things about Portland. Neither of us had ever been here. And so we just decided to move here yeah. sort of sight unseen and haven't regretted it for a minute um, yeah. except for the you know cost of living compared to the midwest other than that it's just been a super welcoming place and just such a breath of fresh air after living through the bush era in missouri is so, that pretty rough then very rough mm. yeah well i don't know if you've had um much opportunity to leave the city in <laughs> since 2007 but i've heard it's not too different <laughs> no it's very true so missouri and oregon have a lot in common yeah. honestly like the urban areas are much more blue and yeah. the um, rural areas are very red um, although you'll find thoughtful you know good people everywhere um yeah <clears throat> And so and closet racists everywhere. Oh yeah, they're okay. <laughs> here. I think Portland just like by population outweighs the rest of Oregon, whereas in Missouri they've gerrymandered it to yeah. the point where Kansas City and St. Louis and Columbia can't quite overpower hmm. the gerrymandered sort of hmm. red districts. So, did you grow up like listening to like Missouri, traditional? Missourian? Missourian? <laughs> Missourian. How does one... How does one... Say um, correctly. Well, I grew up in... My parents were... They're both natives of Missouri. My dad's from St. Louis and my mom grew up in Columbia on a farm. Or outside of Columbia. And um, they both sort of rebelled against their families and became back to the land sort of radical hippies in the... No. 70s yeah <laughs> how could and, they <laughs> uh, what and so they i grew up at the dead end of a gravel road um hmm. on my grandfather's farm <clears throat> we had a house in the middle of the farm and um my parents were like played music for fun hmm. and what, what kind of music well they played 
their first brochure when they started trying to make a living playing music said they played old time and rock and roll. Okay. Yeah. Bob Seger music. Yeah. <laughs> so they play, well, they played, like my dad had been inspired by the Kingston Trio and sort of, okay, uh, yeah. he called it the great folk scare of the 60s. Sure. And, um, they, lo- they love saying that. Yeah. <laughs> they, they do. <laughs> the boomer. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. yeah. He has all the dad jokes. Yeah. And the, the dad musician jokes. So they really got into like the New Lost City Ramblers mm. and so they, they got into the like old time revival sure. kind of stuff. So my dad learned the fiddle and the mandolin. My mom plays piano accordion, but she learned to play accordion so that the piano part was sort of like the fiddle and the bass side was sort of like guitar. So she would do like bass runs. And she would like play fiddle tunes yeah. on yeah. piano accordion. Wow. Um, Are there recordings of this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would I would love to <laughs> I don't I want you to, to see the that. pictures of the family band. Please. Because <laughs> um, it's very uh, embarrassing. But <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they, they, I mean, we just listened. We had a community radio station. Yeah. So we listened to all sorts of, you know, folk and bluegrass. And um, around, right around Missouri, there were a lot of like fiddle contests and kind of, bad bluegrass um were the main like sort of popular music that you would hear at events and stuff so there was like only one other claw hammer banjo player that i knew of who was my main inspiration for learning her name's kathy barton um i that name sounds familiar yeah, yeah. and she and her husband dave were friends of my parents um they jammed together before i was born and they were also a touring duo um Kathy passed away about a year and a half ago, um, unfortunately, but she's the reason I play banjo, Hmm. and um, she was very influenced by local Missouri fiddlers, and there's a very distinct Missouri fiddle style. Um, You may have heard of the Missouri turnaround. Yes. That's where we play the chords correctly. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like, it... From my understanding, even if the fiddle does not dictate those the chords, particular yes. changes, yes, you do it that you way. You do every it, time. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't think of it as a rule; it's just how it goes. Yeah. It's just how it is. Um, so through Kathy, I really, you know, learned a lot of music that was more directly from the area. Um, but you know, the Ozarks in southern Missouri are very like there was a migration from the Appalachians so the music of the Ozarks has a lot of similarity to mm. Appalachian old time music um, and there's still a lot of it going on if you go down to Mountain View Arkansas and go down to the square there will be people come out of the hills and jam every Saturday um, so there's a whole tradition there um, Missouri is a very interesting state because it's still kind of a border state it was um in the civil war it was it didn't secede from the union but like several counties did so it was a yeah. very divided yeah. there was guerrilla warfare um and to this day the the sports team in columbia is the tigers and they have a deep rivalry with the sports team in lawrence kansas that are called the jayhawks and that was the name of the militia in Columbia was the Tigers, and the name of the militia in Lawrence was the Jayhawkers. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it goes back. Um, so, yeah, Missouri has a very interesting history. And so I basically grew up listening and to whatever my parents were playing. They played protest music, folk music, and then we started touring as a family band um, when I was, like, seven or eight. I learned to clog when I was about six, Um, my sister and I, and then we were singing on stage by the time we were eight, Um, and then, well, she's two years younger than me, but Ellie, and then we, my parents were trying to just get gigs that would pay that weren't in bars, because at the time, bars were just full of smoke, Yeah. and they were the main place you could get paying gigs, and so they, like, they would be like, oh, sure, we can play Renaissance music. And then they'd quickly learn some Renaissance and, like, make a costume, and we'd go play for a Ren Fair. Or, yes, we can play a Civil War reenactment, and then we'd get, or, you know, a banquet or whatever. So it was really funny 
um, because they were very radical, like anti-nuclear, anti-Vietnam, anti-war yeah. like, protesters. My dad had this long hair and this huge beard and they, you know, had all their hippie friends and they, you know, grew pot on their land and the helicopters would come over. And anyway, it was really different life when I was little. And then they got, we got to the point where we were wearing matching dresses. My sister and I had long hair. We were homeschooled. Yeah. We would sing gospel songs because that's what a lot of people wanted to hear. Yeah. And so people started to think we were this like, and we were called the Grace Family. So people really thought we were this super Christian band. Interesting. And we would, and we sort of, we didn't exactly, you know, we sort of had to cover up who we really were in a lot of ways um, in order to get gigs. Get gigs. Yeah. yeah. At non bars. Yeah. yeah. So it became, in, it was very interesting when we started wanting to speak up politically again. Um, and I started, my sister and I started writing some songs with some political content and we like had people get up and walk out of our shows yeah. and it took a long time to sort of feel okay about that. Yeah. But after a while we were like, we don't need those people. How, how old were you when you, when you started with your sister writing political material for the family band? Um, I mean, none of it was really, obvious until we probably weren't in the family band anymore. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so my sister and I, after college, started touring as a duo um, and sort of left the family band nest because it was sort of, it wasn't exactly the healthiest, you know. That was going to be my follow-up question. <laughs> you seem to like music now. Yeah. Did, did you back then or like... Did, <laughs> People often assume that you, if you're in a family band, you have some sort of complex and you, yeah. have, to, you have to go to therapy for it. Yes. And <laughs> what I would say is music was my saving grace. Like I was so, we were so isolated in so many ways. We were touring around, but we didn't have any peers. We had no, we didn't go to school. So we, we learned at home. We did fine academically. We did beyond fine, but um, we were very socially isolated and that was certainly not healthy but I sort of at the time um, just made peace with it because I fell in love with the music like my parents never set out to have a family band hmm. they were they were a duo and we were along for the ride yeah. and then we started saying hey I know all the words to the songs yeah. can I get up on stage and yeah. you know play sing a song and um why, why did why did you want that? A lot of kids don't want that. I don't know. I mean, there wasn't really much else to do for one. Sure. <laughs> it was sort of the thing that was happening. And I mean, there's always something compelling about hearing your voice through a microphone. And I certainly, yeah. I would say the microphone was a big part of it. <laughs> um, and I certainly, music for me was this magical thing. I learned, figured out how to harmonize when I was like seven. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I was always writing poetry. I was a very sort of internal kid who was always reading books sort of off in my head and always singing. Um, so I loved music and um, my sister and I went through a period where we were rebelling by listening to all hit Y107. Yeah. And like <laughs> listening to, it was when Tiffany and Debbie Gibson and New Kids on the Block yeah. and Madonna. <laughs> so Did that like, piss your parents off? No, they were like, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then it was really some musicians who were a little, like my parents' age or a little younger who we met at various festivals who gave me like Kathy Barton and Dave Para, this woman named Sally Rogers was a huge inspiration to me. And we were at the Winnipeg folk festival in 1986. And like, I had stars in my eyes. There was like, um, I don't know that just so many amazing people. I remember waking up 
it was like two in the morning and I had fallen asleep on the, my sister and I had fallen asleep on the blanket um, in the crowd backstage at the Winnipeg Folk Festival. And I woke up and Lorena McKennett was on stage and she was singing The Lady of Shalott, which is like this 10 minute story, like ballad. Um, and it was just like magical. And then I got up on stage with all these people who were heroes to me um, and sang in the finale. And then we ended up going back like in 92, 94, 96, um, you know, and Sweet Honey in the Rock and mm. Ani DeFranco was there. Nobody knew who she was. And anyway, it was just like the thing that drew me back into it after sort of becoming a little like, oh my gosh, my parents are doing this dorky folk yeah. music thing <laughs> and was the other musicians and getting to connect with them and sort of emulate and idolize them. And so yeah. as long as I stayed in the family band and kept us all getting along, then we could go to those festivals and yes. I could see those people. And um, so, and at the time the festivals were really, um, most of the people who were performing and touring, there wasn't like a separate scene. There wasn't like singer songwriters over here who were doing navel gazing, sort of disconnected from the tradition yeah. songs. And over here were people just playing old time music. It was like most of the performers would mix traditional, like Sally played dul mountain dulcimer and banjo and guitar and she wrote a lot of songs she covered other people's songs and she played traditional songs yeah and so that was the thing and then it became all the worlds kind of divided um and you know bluegrass and old time were very at odds and anyway it was a it was a you know different different time yeah but it was very and there were no other young people at the time it was all there were no other people my sister and my age. So when we would come across like another young musician or dancer, we would be like, oh, oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> like we met Matthew Olwell, who was oh. at this festival in Pennsylvania when he was 15 and we were about the same age. And we were like, oh my gosh, you're a clogger? You're a clogger? What? <laughs> so, um, you know, a few things like that. Yeah. Um, but. Anyway, it was an interesting and unusual upbringing that mm. where I missed out on a lot of things, but gained a lot of other things that most kids don't get. Yeah. So. Well, what do you want to play next? Oh, well, do you want to play the, my original, the water, wood and wind? Yeah, absolutely. I forget what key that was in. B flat. Oh, great. I think I'm still there. My sister's texting me and saying, how's it going? <laughs> We're still best friends and we still Aww. play together. She lives in Kansas City. Um, we haven't lived in the same geographic locale for way too long. She moved to Asheville, North Carolina. And then I moved out here and then she moved to Massachusetts. We moved to Vermont for a year randomly and then came back here. And then she moved to Kansas City. But we've been, we get together a couple times a year in non-pandemic times and perform together. Mm. And it's like a, a paid reunion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's nothing like singing with a sibling. Do you have siblings? I, I have a little sister who is uninterested in doing this. Oh. But I like hanging out with her just the same. Yeah. Little sisters. They're the best, yeah. and also they can be, they're really good at being annoyed. Yeah. That was my experience. They're <laughs> so awesome, but... Yeah. Um, Someone was, I think it was Rach Kraus, if that's how her name's pronounced. She was just recommending that I interview your sister, so maybe I should yeah. hit her up after this. Well, that'd be awesome. Yeah. I always, I love getting siblings on the show separately, <laughs> and then asking them the same questions. Oh. And then, like, sometimes the, like, family apocrypha, like, comes out, you know? And it's like, no, that's not how it went down at all. Yeah. I can cross-reference you. It'll yeah. be great. <laughs> yes. Don't look at our picture, our family band pictures where we have... I always, like, 
lower the age because I'm so embarrassed that as an older teenager, I was like wearing these matching Walmart flower dresses with my mom and my sister. I'm like, no, I was like probably 12. No, I was probably 10, I think. Yeah. Um, I wrote this song shortly after we moved out here and I was um, very homesick for the Ozark rivers and streams that I grew up spending a lot of time in. Out here in the Pacific Northwest, the they can rivers can kill you pretty quickly. Yeah, and they're cold. <laughs> they're so damn cold. And in Missouri, you like, look at them. yes, you poke your toe in them and go, ee! Um, in Missouri, there are these, nobody really talks about it, but there's these beautiful, there's this whole group of rivers and it's called the Ozark Scenic Riverways um, and they're these they're spring fed rock bottom and you can just like on a hot day go and just like hang out in the river mm. all day like just you can swim and swim and swim and they're just so welcoming and peaceful and I really was missing that uh, even though like sort of objectively nature is much more spectacular here <laughs> yes, but part of this the spectacle is it will kill you. It will, and kill. It will freeze you to death. <laughs> it will. It's not nice to be in. <laughs> so this is called water, wood, and wind.
beautiful song. Thank you. Yeah. Hmm. I love writing songs. I just think it's sort of an ideal art form because you have the poetry and you have this sort of limit of how much you can say and how you can say it and the rhythm you can say it. And then um, you have the melody and it's just the rhythm of it. And I love writing songs. I haven't written any in about the last <clears throat> six years or so yeah. <laughs> since having my daughter. <laughs> I've been pouring my creativity into other yeah. avenues. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I recommend, like, my daughter, she writes, she makes, she doesn't write yet, but she makes up songs all day. Like, she's always making up songs. And um, so many people think, oh, I could never do that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm. People are so hard on themselves mm. when it comes to music, particularly. I teach all these classes in singing and banjo, and I spend most of my time trying to undo the damage that adults have incurred oh my goodness from, so much from our culture from bad teachers who said mouth the words oh like, no mouth the words i know like oh. so anyway i'm i'm all about you know there are some people who are sort of elitist but i'm like music is to be played it's for everyone i don't care if you're bad at it if you are enjoying it and you keep working at it a you're going to get better yeah. And B, that's the whole point, is to have fun with it. So whenever I encounter musical communities that are exclusive, I just am sort of like, what? what is the point? You're yep. sort of missing the point. And that's what I really loved about the musical community I grew up in. Um, and it was really... Kathy Barton, I think, had a big hand in that, who I mentioned before. Um, she was a master musician who could play anything but she would just she just loved sharing music so much she would just invite anyone so i would go to a jam and it was like anyone who could barely play it would just go around the circle and and it would be like an old time tune followed by a the simplest song you can think of because that's the only one that person could yeah. play followed by you know and it didn't matter how good you were if you were engaged and having fun with it. Hmm. And so I feel like I really carried that ethic into my life, and I feel really proud of it, and I try to spread it as much as possible. So I'm like, if you want to write a song, write a song. It's not for other people. It's for you, first and foremost. So. Yeah, the, uh, the self-editing process yeah. you know, that we get taught is, uh, yeah, it, it has to be unlearned. <laughs> I think uh, I, I relate to what you're saying about, I used to write a lot of songs. And then if I really think about it, I think about five and a half years ago <laughs> when my son was born, I think I, I stopped. I've written maybe one or two cents, but. Yeah, I've come, I have a lot of voice memos on my phone that yes. say, song idea. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. I, I. I think the the amount of time that it takes to parent and the energy is part of it. I also think, for me personally, I think that's when I really realize that I don't know anything, and I and I, I'm like maybe I'll write songs again once I've like processed how paradigm shifting like having a kid is and how um, painfully humbling it is. Oh yeah, <laughs> there's probably something to that. I always think of it as like I don't have the the time or the yeah. mental. Or physical space but it's I mean it's a huge paradigm shift becoming a parent it's like yeah. oh it's not about me anymore yeah. you know <laughs> it's like up till then your life is sort of like what am I going to do how will I find meaning in my life yeah, yeah. And, what does it all mean hmm. yeah. and then it, now it's Which like important yeah but now it's like oh well now I'm shepherding this other being yeah. into asking those same questions and helping them navigate into the world and learn how to deal with their emotions and learn how to deal with the shitty world that we're handing them. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, kiddos. <laughs> Sorry. Uh... So on that note, talking about kids 
in songwriting. Do you want to do your... I, I was... When you sang this for me earlier, I was assuming it was about your kid. Yeah. Because I was listening to the, the lyrics, and I assumed <laughs> that that had something to do with it. Yeah. Yeah, so this this song um, that I wrote... I actually wrote it when I was about 20 or oh, 21. Okay, so not, yeah. And what's interesting is my first forays into writing... I was, it was all about empathizing with other people. So most of my first songs were not from my own, mm. or I thought, were not from my own perspective. Right. Um, and so I was always thinking about what it would be like to become a parent. And so I actually wrote several lullabies. Yeah. One when I was like 16 and one, this one when I was 21. That were about a parent singing to a baby. Mm. And then I didn't have a child until many, many years later. Oh, interesting. I feel like most people that age are, like, wanting to avoid those kinds of thoughts. <laughs> oh, no. I was, like, I wrote, I was so, I don't know how to describe it, but I was a very melancholy, poetic, just, mm -hmm. like, questioning every meaning of life. Yeah. And, I was so justice driven. Like I thought that, you know, if I couldn't ha have peace with my family, there would never be world peace. Like I was yeah. that kind of yeah. kid. Um, so I was constantly like sort of imagining life from other people's perspective. Yeah. Um, and I was, you know, I knew I wanted to be a parent. I wasn't planning on doing it anytime yeah. soon, but I was sort of fascinated with that relationship um and this song was sort of a flash of inspiration um that came from hearing a an old-time tune that was very different from most old-time tunes um and i think it's from the hammonds family which i don't know a lot about them but um it is sort of an air and it's played with a fiddle like tuned one string way down so it sort of sounds like you know a pipe pipes or something um and it goes something like and it's something like that so i heard it and i saw the title queen of the earth child of the stars and i thought this should have lyrics so i heard the song the tune once and i went and wrote lyrics and i came back and realized I had made up my own melody. Yeah. <laughs> that sort of like has some components or a similar feeling to that melody, but it's not the same. Yeah. And so all that's actually left of the original is the title. Yeah. <laughs> Folk so, music. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's called Queen of the Earth, Child of the Stars. On the night that you were born, I looked out the window to the sky, and the brilliant stars sang to me as you uttered your first cry. I looked down into your face and saw stars shining in your eyes. My small queen of the earth, child of the stars. I held you in my arms and sang you to sleep. And your face shone so bright I could not but with joy weep. I knew with every passing hour my love for you would grow more deep. My small queen of the earth child of the stars as you opened your wide eyes and held my gaze with your own 
I could see with aching joy you dancing from me when you're grown. But wherever you go, my darling, no, you'll never be alone, my small queen of the earth, child of the stars. That's so beautiful. Thank you. And it's so... I. How old were you when you wrote it? Like 20. Like 20? Yeah. Man, you... The whole, like, being empathetic towards other people when you're 20. That's... <laughs> like... Uh, I maybe just, it's I an just, estrogen thing. I, yeah, maybe it's that. I was, <laughs> I was literally just going to say, I, I can't imagine, uh, <laughs> like, writing a song like that when I was 20. And, uh, and then you beat me to it <laughs> by saying that. Yeah, maybe it's an estrogen thing, sure. Potentially. Yeah. 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 Maybe. Maybe I mean everyone's a little different. Yes. I was I'm like I said, I was very po- poetic and dramatic and internal and yeah. super emotional and focused on like sort of adult things when I was young, just be- yeah. partially because of my upbringing and my lack of good experiences yeah. with my peers. Um, you keep saying was, are you not, are you not that way anymore? What? Like, was what? Internal and poetic and... Like. I, I was sort of to the extreme. Yeah. And I'm a little, I'd say I'm a little more balanced sure. now. And I... So you can like... Yeah. in a household in a folk school <laughs> and, yeah. and I you know table, I yeah. think I struggled with some mental health issues mm. then that I thought were sort of you know just normal teenager things yeah um, and now you know I have an anxiety disorder that I struggle with and it took me a long time to figure that out and so you know medication <laughs> helps a lot yeah. give you I was such an up and down kind of person. Like I was either like flying, not like in a, you know, extreme like bipolar way, but you know, I was always living for those intense experiences of connecting with people at a festival or at a camp at a late night jam. And then the rest of my life felt like black and white and down and um, empty. And so I had to figure out how can I find a life that's, like maybe it doesn't have quite those that intensity and in that you know in the high highest sure. of heights and being a performer my whole life yeah. sort of put me in that situation as well so finding things that could keep my life a little more steady instead of so much like oh drama and <laughs> i'm so sad i'm so happy you know yeah <laughs> it's good to have a season of that. Yeah. And then... Yeah, it was not. <laughs> It was appropriate for the time, and yeah. it was hard, and it was, you know, what it was, so... Yeah. When did you start teaching music? Oh. Well, as I was mentioning before, my parents were looking for any way to make a living being folk musicians, <laughs> which yes. is not easy. And so from a young age, we were... Um, you know, doing workshops at a festival, or more often we would do school assemblies in elementary schools, because that's a really great way to supplement your income when you're like on tour to have a daytime thing. Yeah, Um, absolutely. So we developed a whole program, and it was, you know, when you're in a school, you have to be kind of educational. So as part of it, we like taught the kids how to play uh, percussion like spoons and bones and limberjack <laughs> what's the limberjack oh it's the little wooden dancing doll and you put a board under oh yeah your la- under your leg and you hit it with your hand and the doll dances to the beat yeah, yeah. yeah. so that was one of my they first instruments yeah. so the kid yeah we taught them like we carried a bag of like 50 spoons wrapped in pairs and we taught them how to play spoons 
Um, and then we gave them a really, looking back on it, <laughs> really terribly um, unaccurate version of how you know, clogging developed or how old time music. Sure. <laughs> you know, we were like, where did the banjo come from? And they would be like, Texas. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And we'd be like, no, it came from Africa, but we didn't go beyond that. Right. Yeah. Um, or we'd say clogging developed or old time music developed when the, the black people and the white people and the native Americans all got together and they made the music. Yeah. You know, like Thanksgiving like, dinner. Exactly. <laughs> the like, first one. Yeah. I look back on some of the things we said and taught like it was so ignorant and i'm like no wonder i've lived in such a fucking white world yeah um i look back on some of the things i've said on this podcast four years ago yeah and i'm like should i go delete that i know i've my mind has oh my god i've just been going through this whole internal battle for the last four years of yeah. like uh, yeah, four years. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. We can tangent on that yeah. um, if you want to. <laughs> no, that, that timeline. Yeah, that fits. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so we can come back to that tangent because I'm really interested in that tangent. But um, so that was sort of the beginning of teaching. The first things I taught were probably teaching the percussion instruments and then teaching clogging um, to kids and adults at festivals and so by the time I was about like you know 18 or 19 I was already teaching because I had already been performing and playing for a lot of years yeah <laughs> um then I started teaching banjo lessons as sort of something to make money when I was home from tour so it was like this sidelight you know like I'd have a couple banjo students and they'd know oh I would leave for a couple weeks and then I'd come back and we'd resume so you know I really and then I also started teaching I called them by ear harmony singing classes mm. and it started out where I was just going to teach a song and teach three parts and then people started saying well but how does harmony singing work how do I learn how to harmonize and so I sort of retro like looked back and over the years I've developed a sort of how to harmonize theory of mm. teaching that I'm really proud of because people think it is such a mystery and yeah. people think singing and harmonizing by ear in particular are things that you either have or you don't. Right. And I just want to dispel that incorrect falsehood. Yeah. She repeated redundantly um, <laughs> because I have you know, I've, I've looked it up and like literally only maybe 2% of the population is actually physically tone deaf. Right. And everyone else just didn't have the access to the music, yeah. you know? And so, and this is an instrument. Your voice is an instrument. It's part of your body, but it's invisible and it's so vulnerable. And so people are taught that they shouldn't sing unless they're a singer. And I've also come to realize that people don't know how to harmonize even if they've sung in a choir. Yep. Even if they have done a lot of singing because all the singing we do is unison. You know, or in a group where you're all singing the same line. So most of what I'm doing is getting people comfortable with their own voice and then getting them used to hearing another note and instead of trying to cover their ears and not hear that learn how to hear the chord that they're making yeah um anyway it's so fun it's like my absolute i feel like it's my mission in life is to get people to sing and help them realize that they they can sing yeah and when you make those breakthroughs with voice students or with a choir it it is like a you can see something spiritual happening yeah because 100%. they're actually connecting with their body yeah and like paying attention Healing. to it in a way that they maybe could afford to avoid the rest yeah. of the time yeah and it's it's amazing to watch oh i love doing it and i love teaching banjo too and because so many people again have encountered teachers who are not kind and not you know they don't break things down and so so many people think 
oh, I just can't get it. And yeah. I'm like, but it's, it's all muscle memory. Yeah. That's what you're building. And so when you make a mistake, it's not because you don't know it up here. It's because you formed a habit wrong and now you just need to unlearn that habit and learn the right one. So I love teaching. It started as this sort of thing on the side, but it's become something that I'm really passionate about that I've really worked at. Um, and I love teaching absolute beginners and seeing them make those breakthroughs and go from thinking I can't play an instrument and to playing. Yeah. It's so gratifying. Mm. Um, well, we, we have a couple more tunes yeah. left. Uh, should, we should do the, the other tune as yeah. opposed to the song. Yes. Yeah. What, what were we going to do again? I don't even remember. Oh, we what were, do you want to do? We had some options, but Rock the Cradle Joe was up there. Um, we didn't practice needle case, but that's another option. Let's do that Rock the Cradle Joe. I don't know to what extent that's actually happened on the show. Oh. Maybe once, maybe twice. But it's such a good tune. Right? Let's do it. What key is it in? D. I can, I can play in D. Let's do that. Let's take this one a little peppier. Thank you. 
What's better than one banjo? Two banjos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a banjo yeah. joke. No, it's it's just, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So where do people go to keep up to date with every, everything you're doing musically? The Rose City Folk School. Yep. Old albums. Yeah. People go to find those, etc. Well, there are multiple websites. Um, there's Leela Grace Music, and Leela is spelled L-E-E-L-A, Grace, like amazing, <laughs> music.com. And then rosecityfolkschool.com. Um, both of those websites are maintained by a very uh, distracted uh, webmaster <laughs> who hasn't <laughs> updated them, named me. Okay. Um, so This is a call out. <laughs> <laughs> come on me. <laughs> Get it together. Um, but <clears throat> there's also uh, Leela and Ellie Grace uh, music. No, I can't remember. But anyway, look up Leela and Ellie Grace. It'll be linked in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we have a couple of albums my sister and I made. They're, they're really good, <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, from one we made in 2003 and the other one in 2008. Anyway, maybe it was more recent. Anyway, a long time ago. <laughs> and then there's the family band ones that hopefully you, you won't be able to find anyway. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do some digging. Yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> First, um, first but I'm also notes. on Instagram, Rose City Folk School yeah. PDX, and on Facebook, Rose City Folk School and Leela Grace Music. Um, and I probably do more on social media than on the website. Okay, but, great. Um, I'm going to be hopefully starting some classes, and since we're doing distance learning these days, um, anyone could join. I'm probably going to be yeah. doing some, try to do some harmony singing, sort of figure out how to get creative with that. Yeah. Um, just not the same on zoom but i think maybe some like jam groups as well as probably some banjo classes mm. um, i might even do a clogging class on zoom i th- i did a zoom clogging one-on-one lesson and it worked pretty well all right and clogging is super fun so we'll see um i'm hoping to get once we figure out the weirdness of this school year with my daughter yeah I'm going to get some classes going. and um. The Portland Public School email is basically like, hey, so we don't really know what we're doing yet. <laughs> we're going to do a soft start. Yeah. <laughs> no. I'm like, okay. Okay. <laughs> I would love some. I still don't know when. Yeah, I know when the first day of school is for Theo. I don't know what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're starting to get information is trickling. Yeah. Trickling. So, yeah. Um, I, I will release this soon then so that uh, people will know when your classes are starting. Yeah. I can have time to sign up. I'm excited um, to get back into it. I've really missed teaching since. <clears throat> I mean, I've been doing one-on-one Zoom lessons. Yeah. I also do private lessons in singing and in banjo. Great. So over Zoom. And, and occasionally clogging. And occasionally clogging. Yeah, maybe, maybe more often. Yeah, and I just recently started doing like singing coaching one on one because I thought, well, I didn't study voice classically, and maybe I'm not qualified. So I just did the group classes, but it has been really fun mm. to help people find their voices. And mm. you know, I have I have students that range from people who are really good singers but don't know it, and yep. just need to learn how to breathe. A little better and open their mouths yep. to people who, when they start out, don't know how to match pitch. Yeah. And they go from not matching pitch to matching pitch and then actually being able to sing. So it's never too late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and if you're listening to this and you're like saying, yeah, maybe for most people, but not for me. No, we're talking, I'm talking to you. To you right? You right there. Yeah. You can sing, you can play the banjo. You can. Yeah. And also, if you know, I'm available for <laughs> recording sessions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love playing music. You perform? Music. I perform in normal times. Yeah. I do a solo performances as well as perform with my sister, yeah. Ellie. And, um, mm. yeah, I've played with Lisa Ornstein, who used to live here. 
and Betsy Branch, who's a great fiddler locally, and um, had lots of other sort of part-time little ensembles, but I'm always excited to play with other people and jump into things, so. Thank you so much for having me over. Yeah, this is so Taking your afternoon fun. to do this. Yeah. What do you want to do for our last song? Well, it seems appropriate to do one called Sundown, because the sun has finally gone down behind the house. Yes. And it's not in my eyes. Um, it's in the key of E. For those of you out there who want to join in. <laughs> um, so this is an old song. Um, I think I learned it from Dave and Kathy originally. Um, Kathy Barton and Dave Farrow. But it comes from, from what I've heard, Bascom Lamar Lunsford. And um, I don't know if he wrote it or if he collected it from someone. Check out Leela's websites at leelagracemusic.com, leelaandelliegrace.com, and rosecityfolkschool.com for performance dates, albums, and music classes, respectively. And make sure to follow her Facebook page and the Rose City Folk School Facebook page and Instagram to stay up to date. You can support Get Up In The Cool at patreon.com slash getupinthecool. Order a t-shirt bag, sticker, or phone case at Get Up In The Cool's Teespring store. Make sure to like and follow Get Up In The Cool on Facebook so you can see the video I posted from this episode and share it with the world. 
Visit pitchforkbanjo.com for my instructional banjo series. Check out my other podcast, Think Outside the Box Set. It's available in all the same places as Get Up in the Cool. And everything I just mentioned is linked in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to Get Up in the Cool. <laughs>